Good morning, St. Mark, and happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Did you know that today a billion people, they say, are going to be tuning into churches all the way across, not just America, but all over our world today, tuning in to hear an Easter message I know today is just a little bit different than all the Easter's in the past. We're used to coming into church and experiencing the energy, experiencing the people, celebrating with song, celebrating the message of Jesus. And this year it's just different, but, but I still want you to think about that. All the projections are that one billion people are going to celebrate Easter. And if some of the projections are right, it's going to be way more than that. One billion people, that's literally one out of every six people on this planet probably breaking the internet just as I'm speaking right now. And so it is still in every way, even in 2020, a worldwide event of colossal scale. But the question I want to ask you this morning is this, what is it that keeps Easter so popular? I mean, what is it that's kept it going for 2,020 years to the point where it can still cause people who are stuck in the midst of a pandemic worldwide still cause them to want to check in to a church hear a message that might give them some hope. <laughs> and the answer is you think about it, as unpopular as it may be in certain corridors of our society today, is that it's because of the resurrection of Jesus. George Gallup actually did a poll a few years back that said that 84% of the people who never go to church still believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that it's an historical fact, that it wasn't done in secret I mean, the whole city of Jerusalem knew it, and eventually so did the whole Roman Empire. It was news. If CNN had been there, they would have had it on 24-7, showing everything that had transpired. Did you know there's also at least 15 historical references to Jesus meeting people, touching people, talking with people? One time he even cooked breakfast for some people, which I always kind of thought was the inspiration for the Easter breakfast in the first place. I don't know. But one time he talked to about 500 people after he had risen from the dead and they watched him rise and go into heaven. And then they talked about it. The reality is that a lot of people saw him. And so you start asking, okay, well, what does this all mean? And one of the first things that it means is that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Do you know in John 11 verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Jesus truly made some outrageous claims when he was on this earth, didn't he? I mean, he said things like, I'm God and I'm perfect. I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the savior of the world. And so it's interesting to me that a lot of people today try and make Jesus out to be a good teacher because I'm telling you, a good teacher wouldn't say those things. I could go out and I could teach people all kinds of good moral truths and they'd say, you know, Pastor Mike, you're a good teacher. But if I started calling myself God, You wouldn't think I was such a good teacher anymore. You'd think I was sort of a loon. And the same is true with Jesus. In that, Jesus was either who he said he was, or he was the biggest liar who ever lived. Because he said, I am God. He made claims, and then he said, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm going to prove it. One day, Jesus was clearing out the money changers out of the temple. They'd sort of turn the temple into sort of like a flea market or something like that. And there's money changers everywhere. But it was God's house. And so he went and he drove them all out. And they said to him, what right do you have to do this? He said, it's because I'm God. And they said, prove it. He said, I will. 
after you kill me, I'm going to come back to life three days later, claim to be God, and then his resurrection backed it up. It backed up what he claimed to be, that he was who he said he was. In John 14, verse 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except by means of me. I tell you, that's a pretty strong claim, isn't it? He said, I am the way. He didn't say I'm one way or I'm a good way or I'm one of the ways. And so saying stuff like all roads get to the same place or all roads get to heaven, it's just kind of stupid, right? It's like saying I can dial any phone number and get my wife. That doesn't make any sense because there's only one phone number that gets my wife. And you still have people out there saying those things today. Jesus goes on to say, I am the truth. And that means that any other way is not the truth. If he's right, he claimed to be God. And then he backed it up by rising again. He says, no one gets to God the Father except by me. But even if you don't believe in Jesus, and I guess that's your right. I think there's some complications with that, but... Even if you don't believe he is who he said he was, isn't it ironic that you still use him as a reference point every single day of your life? For every time you write a check or every time you you date a contract, every time you, you put down an appointment in your little blue book or on your phone or whatever, what's the reference point? 2,020 years from what? From when Jesus came to this earth. God came to earth in the form of a man so that we could know what God was like, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that that relationship with God that was broken could now be fixed, so that we could be with him forever in heaven. And so we split all of history into A.D. and B.C. So every time you write a date today, Jesus is the reference point. He said he was who he claimed to be. What else does Easter show us? Easter shows us also that Jesus had the power that he claimed to have. He said one time, all power in all earth and in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because he was God, he could do everything that God could do. In John 10 verse 18, he says, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. No force then could keep him in the tomb, but the Romans tried, didn't they? They killed him and they put him in a tomb and they put a big stone in front of the tomb and then they sealed it with a Roman seal that could not be broken and then they posted a 24-7 guard around the tomb making sure that nobody could get in and nobody could get out. But they were only trying to prevent the inevitable. For Jesus had all the power in the world and he conquered the grave. He rolled away the stone and he lives today. In other words, he showed that he had the power that he claimed to have. Easter shows us, too, that Jesus did what he had promised to do. In Mark 10, verse 34, it says, They will mock and they will flog and they will kill me, but after three days I will come back to life. The reality was that the the cross was no surprise to Jesus. It was part of God's plan. And so when you start thinking about it, there's actually a, a little humor to the Easter story. I mean, how would you feel if you'd been one of the guys who put Jesus to death? And you saw the curtain rip and skies get dark and (laughs) you'd watch the way he died and and then all of a sudden you'd heard that he had risen. You publicly executed this man in front of thousands of witnesses who had seen him die. Then you buried him, a a stone put over, sealed for 24-7 by guards. And then three days later, this guy's up and walking around the city again. What do you say to him? 
if you meet him on the sidewalk. The angel said, don't be frightened. I, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's, he's come back to life just as he said he would. In other words, he did what he promised. For when God makes a promise, we can count on it. That's what it means because Jesus did rise. He was who he said he was. He has the power that he said he had. He kept the promises that he made. That's why we celebrate Easter. And again, maybe somebody might say, so what? I mean, what does it mean for me? What, what difference does it make as I'm struggling with all this coronavirus restriction and the fear of, of, of pandemic and the fear of death and the fear of sickness? What does it mean that Jesus was who he said he was? What does it mean to me in 2020s? I'm sitting at home in North Phoenix, USA. Well, to you this morning, I think it means three pretty powerful things. You see, because Jesus is who he said he claimed to be, and because he has the power he claimed to have, and because Jesus does what he promises to do, one of the first things we can know is that our past can be forgiven. And I'll tell you what, that's good news. Have you ever been halfway through a project or something and kind of wish you could have started over, like painting a house or whatever? I think a lot of times, I think people feel that way about their lives. Especially when things get real, especially when they're forced to stay home and they have all this time in the world thinking about things. They just get halfway through their life and they just wish they could start over, they could have done things differently. And the reality is it's just all of us. We have things we wish we hadn't done. We've said things we wish we hadn't said. We, we've thought things we wish we hadn't thought. The thing is, we, we all have regrets. We all feel bad about things. We all have struggled with guilt. A buddy of mine received this letter a few years back. It was from a 31-year-old gal, and she wrote this. I'm 31 years old and divorced. Though I fought the divorce bitterly, I still feel badly about it. I have no hope for my future. Often I go home and I cry, but there's, there's no one holding me when I cry. It just seems like nobody cares. Nothing seems to change, and I continue to fail. I'm stressed out emotionally, and I feel like I'm on the verge of collapse. I know something's very wrong. But I feel so hurt and embittered that I can scarcely react or, or, or relate to other people anymore. I, I feel as if I'm going to, to sit out the rest of my life in some sort of penalty box. And the tragedy is I know a ton of people like that. They just can't seem to get on with the present and the future because they're still so stuck in the past. Some guilt, some regret, something that happened in their past has tied them down and they keep on rehearsing it and they keep on going over it and they keep on beating themselves up. Sometimes it's a former relationship and they're just letting it mess up their current relationships and just as a word of advice, that's not very smart. But they say, I guess I'll just have to live with this for the rest of my life. They're running around with this baggage, this emotional garbage, trying to live life, and they're wondering why they're not happy. Colossians 3.14, though, is the good news. It reads, He has forgiven all of our sins and canceled every record of the debt that we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. This is God's pardon program. He says he nailed it all to the cross, every one of your sins. Jesus paid for your guilt. That means I don't have to pay for it anymore. He was hung up for my hang-ups. See, Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross so that I could quit nailing myself to the cross. Guys, he, 
He so desperately wants to forgive your past, your sins, your regrets. And that's good news. Someone once said, even if there was no such thing as heaven or hell, and there absolutely is, but he said, even if there weren't, it'd be worth it to become a Christian just to have a clear conscience, just knowing that I'm actually free from all those things that I've done wrong. You start asking, why in the world would he say that? It's because guilt is the number one reason we get depressed. It's the number one reason we get stressed or anxious. Or It's the number one emotional issue that, that causes so much of the, the stuff that we walk around with. And so that forgiveness that Jesus offers is amazing news. Because Jesus is who he said he was, my past can absolutely be forgiven. What else can we know? We can know that our present problems can be managed. Maybe that's especially important today. So you think about the coronavirus things. There's, it's almost like it's, you're watching. I remember um, in Japan a few years ago, they had that tsunami that rolled in. And I don't know if you can picture that imagery in your mind, the slow roll of that tsunami over Japan. The coronavirus feels to me in a similar way. You, you know it's coming. But you've tried to prepare, and the government's tried to prepare and do things. We're all standing at home trying to avoid people, you know, six feet at least in between everybody. You know it's coming, but you hope that the preparations that you've made have been enough. You hope that, that you've gotten out of the way enough where, where, where by the time it gets to you, there's just nothing. But the weird thing about this whole thing is we just don't know. And you listen to the government and all the, the reports, and they don't seem to know either, and He's created a, a certain amount of stress and, and worry and anxiety in our culture. It's become kind of more and more real as we're forced to, to live life in ways that we just never have in terms of freedom to move around and just be ourselves. But God's promise because of Easter is that because of Jesus, my present problems can be managed. And I say all that, I think, because, to be honest, much of life is unmanageable. That was true even before all this coronavirus stuff. And maybe I especially say this if you're a parent. You know, I was reading this week again about Charlie Shedd, an author, and he tells this story about himself. He said, before we had kids, I used to travel across the country teaching a lecture I called the Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Kids. You know, he said, I did this before I had kids. And then it says, after he and Martha had their first child, he changed the title to Ten Hints for Parents. After their second child, he relabeled it again to a few tentative suggestions for fellow strugglers. And then he said after the arrival of his third kid, he just gave up speaking on it altogether. <laughs> Why? Because maturity is when you figure out that you can't have it all figured out. Maturity is when you realize that you can't manage all that life is going to send at you, but that God can. And there again, that's the good news. Reality is, I can't control everything in my life. This coronavirus thing has kind of made that evident to me in spades, but God can. And so I want to hook up with him, and I want to let him control it, and I want to ask him for help. In fact, at this time in our country, in our, in, in our world, Christians should be immersing themselves in prayer. Praying for God's protection, right? Praying for our economy, praying for our country, praying for our world, praying for other Christians, praying for churches, praying that if we do get sick, that he brings healing, praying that if he chooses to take us home, that we can celebrate another promise that he's made, right? To be with him forever in heaven. 
But we should be immersing ourselves in prayer during this time, calling on the one who loves us. I say that because I talk to people all the time, and the number one complaint I keep hearing from people today is my life is out of control. Well, duh. I mean, I've heard it hundreds of times. I feel powerless to change the situation. So do I. I feel powerless to break a bad habit. How are you doing with that during this time? I feel powerless to save a relationship. Well, maybe you have time now to work on it. I don't know. I feel powerless to get out of debt. I feel powerless to manage my time and my schedule. See, what you need is a power that's greater than yourself. Because you were never meant to live the life that you're going through on your own power. And so Paul shares with us in Ephesians 1.20, he says, how incredibly great is the power to help those who believe in him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. In other words, the same power that enabled Jesus to rise from the, from the death will help you rise above your problems today. And my question is, do you believe that? Do you trust that? The same power that God used at resurrection time 2,000 years ago is the same power that can be used in your life right now. You don't know what the future holds, and I don't either. I don't know what's going to happen next year, or next month, next week. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, and neither do you because this whole thing's been moving so fast. But it doesn't matter because though, even though it's out of my control, it's not outside of God's control. And I trust and I know he will give me the power I need to face it. So why does the resurrection matter? Because my past can be forgiven. Because my present can be managed. And this last one, because my future can be secure. We can know that too. I think a lot of people try a lot of different ways to get to heaven. At least I've seen that over the years. Some people try salvation by sincerity. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. But just think that through just for a second. I mean, you can be sincerely wrong, can't you? I read the other day about a pilot who sincerely flew into a mountain. I mean, he just thought it was lower, and he killed himself. He was sincerely wrong. I could pick up a glass of water and, and take a drink from it, right, and sincerely think that it's water. But if it's been poisoned, I'd be sincerely dead. There are some people who think that you can get to heaven by service, right? I do all these good things, and I, I work my way there. That doesn't work either. I mean, our consciences convict us all the time. Even if we don't believe in God, our consciences convict us of things that we do. We fall short of our own standards, much less God's. But I think maybe my favorite one is this, salvation by comparison. This way you don't have to get too introspective. You just say, I'm better than, you know, so-and-so. And you know what? You probably are. You're probably better than me. I, I don't doubt that at all. But God isn't judging you according to me or to anybody else. Saying I'm better than Hitler is like saying I can bench press more than my grandma. You know, it just doesn't matter because God doesn't grade on a curve. It's either perfection or it's zip. That's his scale. It's either 100% being perfect all the time or plan B. What's plan B? The trust in Jesus. Christ said, I came to provide this plan B. This is the way to eternal life, and it's the only path that's available to you. So follow me, he says. In other words, he knew that we couldn't be perfect, and so he came to this earth so that our imperfections could be hidden by his perfection. He came to this earth to bring us a real hope. He came to provide a way for you and me to go to heaven. And you see, that's the difference that Easter can make. 
It's understanding that Easter signifies the rescuing of our souls from hell. It's seeing God's love in action when he sent us Jesus to take our sin upon his back. It's feeling the peace that comes from knowing that we are forgiven from our past. And the hope that comes from knowing that he has the power to take care of our future. It's understanding, isn't it? It's shifting our perspective to see that Jesus is not just the center point of history, but that he needs to be the center point of our lives. Jesus says, I came so that I could set you free. And if you let him, that's how Easter can make a difference in your life right now, at this moment. It's how Easter can change you to deal with this coronavirus in a different way. It's what gives us the strength not to get caught up in all the circumstance, but to get caught up in the one that controls all circumstance. To get caught up in the one who loves us. The one that came to forgive us. The one that gives us strength to face all adversity. The one that says you are mine. Guys, go with this hope today. Go with the hope of Easter. Go with the hope of Jesus in your hearts and let it fill you to enjoy your life now because you have a peace and a strength and a hope that the world doesn't have. Go with this gifts that Jesus gives to you today and go in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let me pray. God, we love you so much. And... As we look at everything that's going on around us, Lord, there's, there's some trepidation, there's some concern, there's some worry, there's some also frustration because we've been scooped up in our houses for so long. There's worry every time we go to the grocery store. There's, there's worry every time we, we go and get some fast food. There's, we've just been filled with this anxiety and worry and stress, and we're not knowing exactly how to deal with it. We've gotten so caught up in the circumstances that we forget to live life with you. But when we remember, it's when you wrap us up with your arms of love and you remind us anew that you've got us, that you're with us, that you love us, and that we're yours. Keep reminding of us of that very truth every single day, Lord. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.